Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, my guest this week, I'm delighted to welcome back, he's been on the show a number of times, Andrew Claven uh, is perhaps best known to you as the host of The Andrew Claven Show on The Daily Wire, uh, which comes from America. Um, but of course, at the same time, he is a prolific novelist, author, screenwriter. Um, and his latest book, which has just come out, uh, is called The Truth and Beauty. Now, it's got quite a long uh, subtitle to it, which I'm going to read because it's important. Um, the Truth and Beauty, how the lives of England's greatest poets point the way to a deeper understanding of the words of Jesus. Uh, highly appropriate, I think you'll agree, this being Easter Sunday and also, for that matter, St George's Day next week. Um, thank you very much for joining up. Very, very long intro there, Andrew. Thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> it is um, a long subtitle, but it's good to see you, Peter. Yeah. Um, before we talk about that, I, I just wanted to um, ask you a little bit. The Daily Wire, um, well, a huge amount seems to have been happening there recently. And I mean, if I could just start off with one that is very, very um, topical here, at least, and that is we had this whole palaver about Disney going very, very woke. And then there was this amazing announcement from the Daily Wire uh, that, in fact, you were going to be starting to do children's programming. Could you tell us a little bit about that and, and the context, the background to it? Yeah, I mean, to get the idea of what's happened, maybe five or six years ago, the Daily Wire uh, was me and Ben Shapiro and the mastermind behind it all, Jeremy Boring, in Jeremy's pool house, the changing uh, little house next to his pool with a card table uh, doing a 15-minute podcast. Because of Shapiro, Ben Shapiro's fantastic popularity and because of because Jeremy is, is kind of a genius about this, it has sprung up into this huge media company in this very, very short period of time. It was really a wonder to see. And all along, all of us agreed that the more important thing than doing commentary uh, was getting into the culture, yeah. starting to take the culture back from the left. Now, I have to say, this is something, I've, a drum I've been banging for 20 years. I mean, yeah. I lived in England for seven years. When I came back to America, 9-11 happened, and I saw people apologizing to the terrorists on television. And I said, something has gone, while I was gone, something has gone terribly wrong with our culture. Uh, I had thought when I left for England, I was a liberal or a leftist. When I came back, I discovered, in fact, that I had become, in my absence, a conservative. And so I started to go to conservative groups and say, we have to do something about the culture. We have to work in the movies. We have to work in publishing and all these things. And they stared at me like I was out of my mind. They really did not understand what I was saying. 20 years later, everybody understands, but Jeremy really has been the one person uh, with all our help, I'd like to say, but really uh, with him, his leadership has been the one person who has really done something about it. So he took, we were a capitalist country. We took the profits that we made from subscribers and advertising uh, and started to put it into culture, started making movies. Now, every time the left cancels yet someone else or pollutes something else with their twisted uh, philosophy, he responds by saying, okay, well then we'll do something else. So when Disney said uh, openly, I mean, actually it wasn't, they didn't mean it to be open, but they were caught uh, by reporter Chris Rufo talking about how they were going to uh, spread 
you know, se their sexual agenda through Disney cartoons. Yeah. Jeremy said, well, great. That leads more audience for us because we will make good, clean family uh, films and family entertainment. And so that is now what we're doing. And he's pouring a lot of money into it. I think the investment he's got plans is a hundred million dollars. Yeah. Uh, this is we're already making films for adults and that are, you know, our films don't even have to be conservative. They just have to be not woke. They have to be not leftist. And that's really our only rule. And they have to be entertaining. They have to be good films. And so we're already doing that. Uh, we're, we've got a publishing house where I'll be writing things and other people are writing things. Um, and it's it's it, for me, after 20 years of kind of spitting into the wind on this issue, uh, it's incredibly gratifying to be a part of this. I'm so grateful that uh, I'm still around. I'm so grateful that I'm involved in it. Uh, and it's been just a remarkable thing to see. And and the thing about this, Peter, it was fruit lying on the ground. Yeah, I mean, yeah, all yeah. these years, I, this was the thing that used to drive me nuts as I used to go to these meetings and say, the audience is there. You know, Fox News is a cable station, which is getting better ratings than the main news stations mm -hmm. because of this audience. Why hasn't Fox built a movie studio? Why hasn't Fox, uh, you know, built a com comedy channel or a, and a teenage channel? Well, we're doing all those things. And it's just it's just wonderful to see. I think uh, pretty much aren't you sort of like in the absolute forefront in that case, the Daily Wire uh, in doing this? On the cultural level, absolutely. Yeah. On the cultural, yeah. cultural scene, we are. We may be in the forefront. I'm not even sure anybody's behind us yet. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm just. I just think it has taken this long for conservatives. I don't know if it's the same in England, but here, the conservatives are so busy with their charts and graphs and talking about the economy and talking about the statistics that they forget that politics is also a matter of the human heart. And the human heart, uh, as James Joyce told us, is, you know, the, the conscience is forged by artists. Yeah. And, uh, and we really are being a part of that. But it's just taken conservatives a long time to figure it out. I think, if anything, I'd say, you know, Andrew, you, you, you have worked in the belly of the beast, as it were. I mean, you know, you hugely successful novelist, crime novelist, and of course, you've adapted some of your novels for the screen, big films. Um, you know, when you were working in that field, I mean, all, all the time before maybe now, um, was it a source of endless frustration? You said that you were always kind of a a, a bit of a liberal. I mean, were you were you liberal then? Did it did it get to you then or not really? Hollywood. It, it didn't. It didn't right away because I'm a genre writer. I write crime stories. I, yeah. In film, I wrote ghost stories, which I'm very fond of. I love ghost stories, and and so it didn't really become a big issue uh, until 9/11 and the wars on terror, and then. Uh, I remember, I, I have this uh, incredible memory when I went in to do a pitch where I was trying to sell them a story. They actually asked me to bring in a story about something. And I did this pitch and I thought, in the middle of this pitch, I was thinking, this is the best pitch I've ever done. These guys are going to take, bring in a pot of gold and empty it into my lap to get me to write this film because it's such a good pitch. I just felt like I was on fire, you know? Yeah. I got to the end of it and we had just started the war in Afghanistan, I believe it was. And the guy said to me, could we make the villains the American military? Oh. And I, it, and it had nothing to do with that. The story had absolutely nothing to do with the American military. And just without thinking, I said, you know, I don't think the public actually wants our, to see our military as villains right now while they're being shot at in the field. 
I, I was out in the parking lot so fast, I didn't even let the door hit me in the backside. I mean, it was just, mm. that was the end of the conversation. And that started to happen more and more. Mm. And when I started to write articles and actually speak saying, you know, I don't care what you think about the wars. I think there are two sides. You can always, it's America. You should be able to express both sides. But I don't think it's right to make films making our soldiers look like rapists and killers and idiots while our soldiers are actually being blown up by very bad people. And my phone stopped ringing. I mean, I, yeah. I went from making quite a lot of money to having to basically having to sell my house yeah, uh, just really. to keep going because I was I was yeah. turned off like that. I can't promise you that I was blacklisted. No one ever said you're blacklisted. Uh, no one ever called my agent and said he's blacklisted. But, you know, the old uh, the old saying that Hollywood is all about money simply isn't true. It is about money, but they can make a lot of money serving just the left and foreign interests. You know, if they, if they can sell their uh, stuff in China and it attacks America, they'll, they'll do that. They, you know, the money is always there. And they have become... And with this woke thing now, I'm hearing terrible stories about uh, racial, uh, you know, uh, quotas where people are being put on films and given credits on films without having to do anything simply because they're black. Yeah. Uh, and this is especially true if the film happens to be about a, have a black character in it or be about uh, black people. Uh, you are not allowed writing while white is now a, a crime mm. in Hollywood. And all of these things, I think, have you know, now in the old days, I would have said this is terrible, but now it just is more, more nachos for us at the Daily yeah. Wire. It's more yeah. stuff that we can do uh, that that people are going to want to see because we don't care what color people are. We just care that uh, they tell good stories and that ultimately they believe in the good over the evil. You know, that's basically yeah. what we're looking for. Um, just before we leave that, leave that I, I, I wanted to, to ask you, though, you, you mentioned that actually Hollywood's not just about money and that they can make enough money serving the left. Uh, that's a very interesting point, you see, because I've sort of been thinking, I've been watching, I've, I think, I feel, Hollywood sort of almost killing itself over the past few years, not just with the woke thing, but also with the actors and their anti-Trump sentiments. I mean, the way that they are, you know, talking about the deplorables, you know, that, that sort of thing. I would have thought that they would have, that would mean people would stop buying tickets to see them. But really, from what you're saying, you know, maybe not. Maybe Hollywood can go on being like this. Yeah, I mean, it's going to have it. The only time it's going to get them is if we build a, a an industry on the right that can compete, yeah, yeah. and then they'll be in trouble. I mean, look, the Oscars just happened over here. The Oscars used to have a, an audience of 55 yeah. million people. Mm -hmm. It was basically like the Super Bowl of entertainment. We all talked about it. We all sat around the water cooler just debating which film should win. This one, uh, I think, had 15 million people. The one before had closer to 10. Uh, nobody's watching it and nobody's seen the movies either because nobody cares about the movies. The movies that used to be, I mean, if you go back to really Hollywood's peak, which was 1939, the classic movies were also the best movies, yeah. were also the best selling movies. Yeah. Now the movies that are being nominated are films, small, little arty left-wing films, and the actors get up and make fun of half the country and yeah. wag their fingers at half yeah. the country. These are people, by the way, whose moral lives are not exactly exemplary, mm. and and yet they are willing to uh, tell us that if we voted for Donald Trump or if we even just don't believe that our children should be taught sexuality in elementary school by someone we, we don't entirely yeah. know, yeah. Uh, if 
if we believe any of those things, we're terrible people. And so these these guys who have been given gifts by God, amazing, they're, they're, they're amazingly beautiful. Uh, many of them are amazingly talented actors and writers, uh, have decided that rather than just use those gifts to entertain all of the public, they are going to entertain half of the public and not even really half and then scream at the other half. Yeah. Uh, that's not a good business model. No. Uh, ultimately, no. uh, it may help them in China, but it's not helping them here. And so it's like I said, it's just more uh, opportunity for us at the Daily Wire uh, to build an audience. Now, with the Daily Wire, uh, well, I, I, I should explain, actually, that, you know, Andrew very kindly had me on his show. This is about two or three years ago now when I came over to Los Angeles. You are no lo- the, the Daily Wire is no longer in Los Angeles, is it? At the time, I seem to remember, Andrew, you were, you were contemplating a move and everything. What's actually happened? You, you, you're now in a different state, aren't you? Yes. Uh, you know, it got to the point. I mean, I, I lived in a very lovely part of Los Angeles up in the hills. By the time I moved out every night, I was going out and walking around my house with a gun uh, to make sure that no homeless people had moved in uh, or were, were trying to. Uh, that's how bad Los Angeles has become. And it was just terrible. And for and for Ben, who, you know, has a family of young children, he just didn't want to do it anymore. And so uh, Jeremy finally moved the industry to Nashville, Tennessee, mm. which I don't know if you've ever been to Nashville, but it's hilarious. I'm there every week and every week it's bigger than it was before. Yeah. And it's all Angelinos. It's all Los yeah, Angelinos yeah. moving to Nashville because it's a good town. Uh, it's a welcoming town. The regulations are low. The taxes, I, I don't even think there are any state taxes. I, I moved to Virginia because I have family that I want to see in New York. I have grandkids I want to see in New York and I can get to both places in an hour by plane. So it's a good place for me. But everybody there is much freer, much happier. The uh, Whereas in, in Los Angeles and New York, the COVID lockdowns and COVID rules are endless. You get to Tennessee and you wouldn't even know yeah. such a thing has yeah. happened. And the numbers are, are basically the same. The sickness yeah. numbers are basically the same. So it really is a nice place to be and it really has helped the industry thrive. Plus, when you walk down the street, people greet you because they recognize you and they like you. Yes. Where in L.A., if they recognize you, you better get in your car and drive away <laughs> as quickly as possible. <laughs> Andrew, your, your new book, I, I think, you know, The Truth and Beauty, it's a quite lovely title. And of course, there was the, the subtitle un, under it, which is basically, is the point of it, if I just to, to summarize it, to say, trying to get to the bottom of what Jesus actually meant, is that really what is via English culture or part of English literary culture? Yeah, it, it started, I was having a conversation with my son, uh, who's a brilliant guy, he's an Oxford uh, doctor in classics. Um, and I was talking to him about how puzzling some of the things Jesus says uh, are and and the fact that some of the things that we quote, like love your enemies, uh, turn the other cheek, are not things we would actually do in real life yeah, yeah. And, and not necessarily things we actually believe in doing. And my son said to me brilliantly, I thought, he said, you know, you're, I think you're trying to understand a philosophy instead of trying to get to know a person. And I thought that that was such a wonderful thing to say, because when you know somebody, when you seriously know someone, you don't really think about their philosophy of life. You think about what they would see if they were there. So I know my wife very well. I think, oh, she would really like this movie that I'm watching or she'd enjoy this book because I know her. And so I went back to the Gospels. I actually taught myself Greek, uh, though not very well, but I taught myself enough Greek to be able to read the Gospels. And I read them in a, in a new way, which was simply like a, a 
an autobiography or a novel where you just try to get to know the main character. You just try to understand what he has seen. And thinking about it that way and putting all theology aside, I mean, some of my Catholic friends are angry at me because I you know, put aside Catholic theology, but I also put, a pot, put aside Protestant theology. And even Paul, I don't even make any reference to Paul, just reading Jesus, what he's saying. Right. And as I was doing that, I found lines of poetry coming back to me. Uh, and they were the lines of poetry from the Romantic poets, which puzzled me at first. Uh, but I understood after a while, I started to realize that the Romantic poets, when I'm talking about Wordsworth, Coleridge, Keats, um, and Mary Shelley, not a poet, but one of the Romantics, they were actually living at a time that is so similar to this one that it's uncanny. Really? Uh, the, the revolutionary politics that grew out of the French Revolution, the failure of those politics, the disaster that those politics led to, uh, the tendency among the intellectuals to cancel anybody who recognized that failure, just like if you recognize the failure of socialism and communism now, you're canceled. Um, the, that attempt that the French made in the French Revolution to just rewrite all of nature. They weren't just going to you know, get rid of the king and have a democracy. No, they were going to actually rewrite uh, gender roles. They were going to rewrite everything. And the rejection, the ultimate failure of that and the rejection of that. And at the heart of it all, the, the beginning of non-belief, the rise of science, which gave rise to the for the first time to people in, in what had been Christendom saying, you know what, not only do I not believe in Christianity, but I may not even believe in God. And it was really the first time that had become a totally acceptable thing to say, although not, not I shouldn't say totally acceptable. Shelley was kicked out of uh, college for, for uh, being an atheist, but still it was becoming more and more common. And these poets had to reinvent the human consciousness. They, they reinvented Western consciousness for a new age. And in doing that, they came back to a lot of the truths that Jesus had taught them. And so it was this wonderful revelation that what Jesus, Jesus was actually saying something. He was actually telling you a way to live, a way to see the world. And as he put it, he said, I want my joy to be in you. That's a quote you don't hear very much when people are quoting Jesus, yeah, yeah. but that's what he was trying to accomplish. And, and that I think in some ways was what some of these poets were trying to accomplish, even when they didn't know that's what they were trying to do. So it's not a book for poetry lovers. You know, in America, we don't have any poetry lovers. So it would have been foolish to write such a book, but it's a book about the lives of these guys and the thought and the things that happened, which are just great stories. And then at the end, the last third of the book is revisiting the gospels from this new direction. And it doesn't change what Jesus says. It simply brings it in to a, brings a modern understanding of what Jesus says. It's, it's the same Jesus. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But it is a new way or a new way for us to understand them. And it's really, uh, it really had a big effect on me. And it's apparently from the people writing me and the reviews it's getting on Amazon, it's having a big effect on on other people too, which is also very gratifying because I thought I'm never going to be able to sell this book. I wrote it without telling anybody about it besides my wife. Uh, I, I thought there's only one editor that I know of who would buy it. I sent it to that editor and he did buy it and uh, has been so supportive at Zondervan and it has just been a really great experience. But anyway, it's, it's a really, it's different. It's not a book anybody else has written. Uh, and right. I think it, it'll refresh the way you read the gospels. I think, uh, as you say, as, as some of the reviews that you've been having, I mean, some of the uh, recommendations, I mean, you know, are euphoric. Uh, Jordan Peterson, you know, is, is saying wonderful things about it. Um, just um, I remember, actually, you, when we were uh, talking before, and you, you 
were actually, you were from a secular Jewish family, is that right? Right. And you converted to Christianity quite late, relatively late. Um, and so, is it right to say that Christianity, Jesus, is actually playing an increasing role in your life, do you think? Or yeah, Oh, yes. I think uh, it's that C.S. Lewis line. I can't remember it exactly, but he says something like you invite, invite a carpenter in uh, to fix something in the house, and he ends up tearing the whole house down and rebuilding it. And that, that has definitely been my, my experience. Yeah. Uh, it has been, it's, you know, when I, when I converted, when I became a, a Christian, I said to myself, you know, if this makes me nuts, if it suddenly I can't, talk about reality anymore. If suddenly I'm constantly walking around with a big stupid grin on my face saying how blessed I am, even though I just lost my job and my wife left me, you know, that, that thing that Christians do where they seem to detach from reality. I thought I'll, I'll ditch it. You know, I'll, I'll say I was wrong, but instead it has made me a far more realistic person. Uh, and, more accepting of the tragic nature of life, but at the same time, a lot more serene and joyful. I, I cannot, it is, it is very nice that my wife, who does know me very well, we've been married over 40 years, uh, she turns to me from time to time and says, you know, you're like a different person. She, three weeks after I was baptized, she said, you know, you've utterly changed. You're, you've got this serenity and this joy, and that has just continued. Uh, and when I say joy, it's what the poets called gusto. I don't mean happiness. Yeah. I mean, uh, a full involvement in life and a full acceptance of life with all its ups and downs. Uh, it has been a remarkable experience. And uh, I, I just, you know, I, I wish I could just sell it to people, but I know how awful it is to be preached to. Uh, and I just hope that people will, people who have been taught, uh, who've been guided by the default setting of modernity, mm -hmm. uh, that tells you you're a fool if you believe that science has disproved it all, uh, that mo no modern person would fall for this. I, I hope that some people will at least be moved to put that aside and at least consider whether uh, what this man, Jesus, was saying wouldn't improve the way they're living. I remember we discussed, when I, when I came to see you, I remember we talking about being a cultural Christian. And I think I asked you, and I sort of said, I... You know, I've always seen myself as being a cultural Christian. Uh, um, is that enough? And I, I think you were very frank with me. And, and I think you said, well, perhaps not. You know, I mean, you know, in other words, uh, is one just piggybacking on something else? I mean, you know, you would sort of say, would you, that, you know, you're missing something if you are just a cultural Christian. How can you be just a cultural Christian? Isn't, isn't that the question, really? It, it, it is, you know, this is a phenomenon. And in some ways, this was the inspiration behind the book. It, this was almost the person I had in my mind when I was writing the book where people like, like Jordan Peterson, to some extent, yeah. uh, Marcello Perra in Italy, uh, Douglas Murray, have I got his name right? Yeah. The, yes. Murray, yeah. uh, who, who all say, they all say God is necessary. And yet I can't believe, mm. or in, in Jordan Peterson's case, I'm, I can't quite come out and say that I believe. And I, I think that ultimately that collapses. Ultimately, um, in order to come to the conclusions, the Christian conclusions, you have to have the Christian premises. And, and so I understand why they feel that way. I grew up, as you say, in a Jewish family, but also I worked in Hollywood and in publishing in New York and in uh, LA and in London all places where to say, you know, I'm a Christian is really like confessing that, you know, you're, you're doing something really nuts, you know? Yeah. Um, and 
and frequently people will say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not that kind of Christian, or they'll make some excuse mm-hmm. for it. Uh, whereas instead, I really have come to feel that the logic is all on my side. Uh, the the science now also is all on my side. There's some wonderful new books about that, about the, just the fact that, uh, that the science does not turn out to be uh, to disprove the, the theology of Christianity. And so I, I ultimately think that that cultural Christianity I get it. I understand why people like Para and, and you know Jordan and all that don't quite want to grasp it, but I don't think it will hold up. And I think when the steamroller of the culture comes, it starts going in the other direction, as it so obviously is, uh, it'll flatten you. Well, isn't this something actually, Andrew, that you could turn into a very good documentary for for the channel, actually, for for uh, Daily Wire? I mean. It seems, you know, a beautiful it's an interesting thought. Yeah, it's a yeah. beautiful author thing. Um, look, thank you so much for talking about it. The book is available, is it not, on Amazon here in Britain? I mean, it's 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 available now, isn't it? Yes, it is, and I think and I think they also publish it in England as well. Oh, they right. Okay, well, that's it. The Truth and Beauty, which is by Andrew Claven. Uh, I'm certainly going to read it. Um, Andrew, look, happy Easter to you. <laughs> and to you as well. And, uh, and happy St. George's Day. So. Yes, yeah, thank you very much. Lovely to see you again. Thank you It's very great much. to see you as well. Take Thanks. care. Bye. That's it for, um, so what you're saying is this week, we will be back same time next week. Thanks very much. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as three pounds per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.